Good morning, comrades, and welcome to another episode of Workers' Power here on 4ZZZ. My name's Bill. I use the he-him pronouns. And I'm Jackson. I use they-them. And, uh, yes, thank you for to Transmission. It was a wonderful episode of... of, of, of it was nearly like we were walking the streets of Melbourne. <laughs> uh, well done. And, and of course, uh, Liz Witt, the, uh, the, the, the guest presenter on uh, Tuesdays. They, the, uh, famous from Art Cart that moved to Saturdays, but of course, originally from Tuesday, and you can you can take the radio announcer out of the Tuesday, but you can't take the <laughs> Tuesday out of out of the radio announcer. So it's always fantastic to to have them in on a Tuesday morning. All right, well uh, today on 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 workers, but oh, and thank you to Zedlines. How good are they getting? Oh, yeah. Oh, did you hear me mention that? Oh, you might not have um, heard it, but the, the 9 o'clock news, they were talking about the Prime, Mini- uh, the Prime Minister of Iceland, right? There's, there's been a, there's been a, a, a group uh, there uh, 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 of workers, women workers, who have organised a strike oh, hell yeah. against um, the gender pay gap and, and things like that, right? The Prime Minister of Iceland has said, right, I'm out with solidarity with you. Okay. The leader of the country nice. is going out on strike and asking all her cabinet ministers, you're coming out with me as well. All the one, especially the ones who are women, were out on strike. So all the women in Iceland are going out out on strike. <laughs> fantastic. Cool. You know, so yeah. fantastic reporting from you don't hear about that in other radio stations, do you? <laughs> no. How fantastic is that? Right. Well, um, well, yes, and we're, we're about. We've got some plenty of great stories coming lined up for you. But first off, uh, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from which we broadcast, the Yugger and Turrbal people. This land was stolen, never ceded. We pay our respects to elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all First Nations comrades listening today. We stand in solidarity with First Nations people in their struggles for recognitions, reparations, and land rights. We live and benefit on stolen land, and it's time to pay the rent. And here on Workers Power, we do that by starting out with our First Nations Workers Action. And um, this this one's got a content warning, comrades, because there's, there's some mentions of uh, some self harm in here, and so the, um, the 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 title is "Our Boy Deserved a Future." Um, the family of WA teenager who died in custody speak out. Yes, an Indigenous teenager was found unresponsive in a prison cell after a suspected self harm uh, incident and has died. Um, Officers discovered 16-year-old Cleveland Dodd at Unit 18 Youth Detention Facility at Casuarina Prison in Western Australia in the early hours of October 12, after he contacted them through the intercom. He was taken to Sir Charles Gardner Hospital in Perth in a critical condition, where he died shortly after 10pm on Thursday in the company of family members. Mr Dodd's family has issued a statement saying they're overwhelmed with grief and are coming down and are coming to terms with the unthinkable. Uh, the loss of our most beloved boy, who did not belong in that horrible place known as Unit 18, our boy should have been at home with his family who he loved, and who loved him dearly, they said. Our boy deserved a future. They said he had no prior instances of self-harm before taking his own life on October 12th. They said they won't rest until they get justice, and are lobbying the WA government to act now to stop another death in custody. To get all 
And to all the children detained in Bangshi Hill and Unit 18, we say stay strong and look out for one another, they said. Our beautiful, our beautiful boy is with the spirit of our ancestors. In their strength, he too rests with strength. Unit 18 is a standalone youth facility at the Maximum Security Casuarina Men's Prison. It opened in July 2022 to house some juvenile offenders after major riots at the Bankshire Hill Youth Detention Centre. Both Unit 18 and Bankshire Hill have reported high rates of self-harm incidents and detainees being placed into prolonged lockdowns. Indigenous advocates have criticised the WA government for housing youth detainees in an adult prison, but WA Premier Roger Cook described the arrangement as a necessary evil. Um, yeah, so this is uh, a, a sort of a continuation of a lot of the stories we've had on the show so far. Um, they they mentioned the riots at the Bankshire Hill prison, um, which we've talked about before. Um, and the, as punishment, these kids were sent to an adult prison, Unit 18, um, with presumably even worse conditions than Bankshire Hill. Um, uh, conditions worse enough to prompt um, to, to push uh, Cleveland Dodge this far. Um, yeah, this is a, a tragic story. It really, really is. And, and it, know, it, it, we it, shouldn't be locking kids up. And there is no evil like this that is necessary. I don't think there. I, I think. WA Premier Roger Cook is a monster. Well, yeah, that that, that were my thoughts. This is a result of knee-jerk reactions from politicians, uh, you know, like to to media sensationalism. Yeah. Geez, that was a big sentence, wasn't it? <laughs> it was profound, though, wasn't it? You know, it was very, mm. very true, and that's what it is. You know, and, and we're seeing it here in, in Queensland at the moment mm. where, you know, there, there, there was, you know, media sensationalism with, 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 with uh, you know, um, car thefts and things like this, and then all of a sudden... You know, uh, you know the, and, and it was a bit, both sides of politics as well. The LNP were using it as a campaign tool mm. and putting pressure on the government, and and then the, and then the media um, latch onto it, and then all of a sudden, here we are. We, you know, here in Queensland, we're locking up kids. Yeah, the government, no matter which party is in power, will take any opportunity to lock up black kids. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, that's um, right. And, and and look, these laws, they're definitely, you know, like you look at the statistics for 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 uh, um, for, for these things, um, and uh, yeah, they're they're predominantly First Nations people that are affected. And uh, by the way, if you want to, if you're having suicidal thoughts and want to talk to someone, there is one three yarn or one three nine two seven six, or you can call Lifeline at one three one 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 four. All right. Well, the, the, this one we, we won't pause because this one kind of nearly segues itself because we got uh, you know trouble with bail laws. You, you know, so it's all about locking. Uh, locking people up, so human rights groups are criticising the new Victorian bail laws. Yeah, human rights groups say the new bail laws passed in Victoria on Tuesday don't mean don't meet minimum human rights standards. The laws have come about in part due to the advocacy of the family of Gunachmara, Jojo Warung and Wiradjuri and Yorta Yorta woman Veronica Marie Nelson, who died in custody in January 2020. The state's bail laws were initially strengthened after the Bourke Street terror attacks in 2018. 
the coronial inquest into Miss Nelson's death in 20, January 2023 found that the bail laws in Victoria were a complete and unmitigated disaster. Uh, Coroner Simon McGregor said the bail laws discriminate against Aboriginal people, are incompatible with Victoria's human rights charter and should be changed urgently. The family have called for changes including removing the presumption against bail and granting access to bail unless the protection prosecution shows there is a specific and immediate risk to the safety of another person, a serious risk of interfering with a witness, or a demonstrable risk that the person will flee the jurisdiction and removing all bail offences. Um, they, along with 74 health, human rights, legal and indigenous groups, have called for the Victorian government to implement these overarching changes in the next three months. They've also asked for the legislation to be labelled Pockham's Law, after the nickname Veronica was given as a child. In August, Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service Chief Executive Narita Waite said the inquest was a traumatic process that exposed the failings of the Victorian bail laws. Uh, to quote, you can't clean up a disaster with more changes. We need the big changes asked for by, Veronica fa by Veronica's family in Pockham's Law, she said. On Tuesday, the new legislative reforms passed Victorian Parliament. Changes to the current laws include additional court considerations for Aboriginal people applying for bail, the removal of some bail offences, and a statutory review of the legislation in two years' time. The Human Rights Law Centre says the Allen government's new bail laws, despite some positive changes, mean people, including children, will be needlessly funnelled into prisons. Reverse onus provisions will remain, as will the offence of failing to answer bail, which pushes people further into the criminal legal system. People who are unlikely to be sentenced to imprisonment will continue to wait for a court hearing behind bars, they said in a statement. The 1991 Royal Commission to Aboriginal Deaths in Custody recommended incarceration be a last resort. More than one-third of people currently in detention in Victoria are not sentenced, a figure which is even higher for women, young children and First Nations Victorians. Uh, the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service said that in eight out of the first nine months of 2022, there were more unsentenced Aboriginal people in prison than sentenced. At times, almost 80% of Aboriginal women in Victoria's prisons are on remand. Many are often victims of domestic violence, and they are usually primary carers for family members. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's stringent bylaws, just terrible. Yeah, so this is a fight that's also been happening for a while, like since 2020. Um, the, this, uh, Veronica's family has been fighting to change the laws that killed her. Um, and they, and Victoria has budged a smidge, it seems. They, they've passed some new laws which slightly change things but don't nearly meet what would be necessary to actually save people's lives. Um. Yeah, it, it's isn't it? Isn't it interesting that there's a line in in that uh, story that compounds what I was saying about the previous story? Mm. The state's bail law were initially strengthened after the Burst Street terror attacks in 2018. Mm. So a knee-jerk reaction. And, 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 you know, and um, we, we get these stringent, you know, bail laws, you know. So, yeah, terrible. Yeah, they're, they're more than willing to quickly change laws to, um, to criminalise people more. But when it comes to criminalising people less, it takes decades and they move, a, move an inch. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, we've got a little bit of feedback. I was going to mention feedback because 
we haven't got a scallywag of the week quite yet. Oh, yeah. So, if you've got a scallywag of the week idea, send us an MS, eh, MS, an SMS on 0420-626-733. That's 0420-626-733. Send us your uh, suggestions for Scallywag of the Week. Now, um, Susan has uh, messaged in and said, uh, thanks, people, for bringing this uh, tragic information to our attention. Uh, Victorian stats, you read out, are uh, horrendous. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So thank you, Susan. Uh, and of y- course, those are st- statistics which would be reflected everywhere in Australia to a similar extent. Yeah, so, um, yeah, yeah. So- Tragic, you know, knee-jerk reactions from politicians, and the, and and the, these the, this is this is what we get, um, you know, and uh, part part of the you know, yeah, and, and like Victoria as well can be looked at as like one of the states with um, the best like um, uh, they they've got like a, a Aboriginal like. Um, they're uh, they're like, working on treaty, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're like, like working yeah. on treaty. They've got that like um, Aboriginal Parliament thing. I can't remember what it's called, um, but like that like body. That's like this big deal because right, it only yeah. exists in Victoria, and it's like some sort of voice to Parliament equivalent type thing. Um, uh, so Victoria can be looked at as one of the states with like the best. First Nations representation in their political system and this is still all that we get out of them. It's still, yeah, that's right. All right. Well, let, let's uh, let's move along, and we've we've got we've been reporting on this one, but there's been a little bit of uh, movement. But um, uh, but the great thing is that the dairy workers are united ahead of a return to work. Yes, more than 1,400 dairy workers across four processes and 13 sites have expressed their solidarity as they end the largest dairy strike in living memory from first shift uh, tomorrow. I'm not sure when that tomorrow is. I'm pretty sure it might be today or yesterday. Um, Dave Chapman from Peter's Ice Cream in Mulgrave said the fight for a cost of living wage increase would continue. For a long time, we have been feeling left behind, neglected, not recognised by the company with what we have been offered, he said. A lot of these people have got young families, a lot have also got mortgages, so we've had 12 mortgage rate rises we've had to deal with, plus it's also the price of food going through the roof. Everyone's doing it tough, and we deserve a cost of living pay rise. This is the most united we have ever been. The message should get through to the management that we're not being unreasonable and that we are united in what we are after. United Workers Union National Secretary Tim Kennedy said it was time for the companies to come to the table with a fair offer. Dairy workers have had a... have had enough of the disrespectful way these companies have been treating them. After workers agreed to low wages to help the companies come, to help the companies out during the pandemic, um, yes, United Workers Union National Secretary Tim Kennedy said, after more than six months of negotiations, the offers, the offers these companies, of these companies, still far for, still far still fall far below cost of living increases. There will now be talks with the major dairy processors to see if they are finally willing to pay dairy workers what they need to keep up with the cost of living in their regional centres. As always, it will be up to members to decide what action to take next, and they have already voted for the option of rolling 24-hour stoppages in this dispute. From what we have seen from 1,400 dairy workers walking off the job in this strike, they will not take it lying down if the boss t- bosses try to shortchange them. 
As a sign of workers' resolve, mass meetings of dairy workers at every site this afternoon have endorsed taking further industrial action if their reasonable demands for a cost-of-living pay rise are not met. Um, so the big main strike that the dairy workers took um, uh, went on has ended, uh, but now they are moving into a second stage of struggle with uh, these rolling 24-hour stoppages, um, having made their big first impact on the bosses, I suppose. Um, yeah, and they, they haven't won yet, but they're, they're, they're more united than ever, I, 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 look, I think that, that, that that's an important, important point yeah. at this stage of the struggle. Um, it, it's 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 a it's a really really important that, that workers stand together um, at this stage, you know, because you've got to go back in, you've got to deal with the bosses, you mm. know, and things like that. Um, and so standing together. Yeah, I t- mean the the yeah the the collective action the the feeling of solidarity and morale and knowing that you can rely on your comrades in a struggle is uh, is definitely one of the most important things um there just just making sure that you are a team and you and you and you can call on each other whenever you need you know yeah, well, that's that's a big part of union being there to you know, like it's 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 not just all about pay. Hmm. You know, union, unions once upon a time. And this this when I when I started working back in RAF, well, I, I I started doing a couple of th- things like this, and you know, I was told, oh, Bill, it's not like that anymore. And it was things like um, uh, helping members out with with the trailer to to help them move. Hmm. You know, and and trying to create communities, you know, of uh, you know workers that, that that help each other. These are the things that, that that unions used to do back in the in the day. You know, the fifties yeah. and the sixties and the seventies, and uh, until the accord came along and, and ruined our union system. Um, you know, unions w- were big. You know, mm. and and like uh, another just another quick example was was if you were a scab, you were a scab for life. You weren't served at the at the pub. Hmm. You weren't served at the shop. You, you you just you know the union was the community. You know, so um, a lot has changed in those times. But uh, yeah, bringing to being together, standing together, and doing you know like going to lunch together and, and, and having social events and things like that. All very important for union. Yeah. Uh, and strikes are definitely one of the best ways to bring a group oh. of workers together. Um, but yeah, the, those other smaller things as well. Um, in the meantime, are are just as important. Let, let's let's move on, shall we? And we got to oh look, and and going from flippity floppity backwards and forwards, the offshore alliance and Chevron have come to an in principle agreement again. Yes, uh, we'll, we'll, let's see if this one sticks. Hopefully this <laughs> one sticks. <laughs> uh, in online meetings of members on she- on the Chevron facilities yesterday, Offshore Alliance members have voted 94% in support of an in-principle agreement to suspend protected industrial action, while members review the proposed EBAs, which lock in key employment conditions and union standards. That was a lot of fancy words. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. feel like, um, yeah. So the, that was like my big sentence that I used <laughs> earlier. Yeah. So the the union at Chevron has voted. Uh, the, the members have voted to stop their strike. Um, 
and look at this EBA that has been proposed. Um, the fight for fair industrial outcomes commenced in early 2020 on the Wheatstone platform when workers voted 98% in support of replacing Chevron's m repugnant individual contracts with a union-negotiated EBA. When the, with the offshore alliances organization of Chevron's downstream facilities commencing in August last year, the Chevron workforce got organized, unionized, and took an extensive protected industrial action in support of our industrial claims. Um, oh, this is a post from the Offshore Alliance, by the way, uh, hence the language. Um, members are now reviewing the draft enterprise agreements and are awaiting Chevron commencing the access period so that members can review and vote on the three proposed agreements to cover the Chevron and Wheatstone facilities. The Offshore Alliance is encouraging members to vote yes on the three enterprise, agree enterprise agreements which deliver members secure jobs, significant improvements in employment conditions, and the ability to push back on Chevron's efforts to implement unilateral changes to the industrial rights of workers. Um, yeah, good on them. They're, this seems to be a win. Um, and this adds the context to the struggle, which I actually hadn't heard before, which is that uh, previously the workers were under individual contracts and this is the like uh, first EBA that they're getting in these workplaces, which is pretty exciting stuff for them. Um, they're, they're, they're moving forward... Um, uh, uh, in this workplace to like a uh, to an EBA which is uh, way better than um, yeah way better than individual contracts yeah you yeah yeah that's right individual contracts are yeah just terrible so um, yeah you do it's it's that old adage you know uh, United divided United <laughs> we fight divided we beg no what, what, what was I looking for there <laughs> uh, sorry about that but uh, you know yeah it's it's just yeah divided you know we, you know when, when you know they split us up you know mm. they, they can just pick us off you know it's, so. it's a similar thing to um uber i believe with the in the, the where they the workers are considered individual uh contractors um but now they're fighting to get recognized as workers uh which is a story that uh, we don't have this week, but we should cover at some point because there, there's stuff happening. In yeah, that, it's, a, it's in the commission at the moment, yeah. All right, and now MUA, um, who are uh, one of the Offshore Alliance, uh, they've got uh, the MUA members have just nailed down a massive win for members at NRMA Fast Ferries. Yeah, so big week for MUA the, this week. <laughs> yeah. 15% uh, pay increase. All right, so yes, they've won a fifteen percent pay increase on commencement, or with three percent or CPI increase every year uh, of the agreement. An additional week of annual leave, a transparent, merit-based and progression, merit-based training and progression system, a First Nations committee, uh, and what we believe could be an Australian Australia first extension of family and domestic violence leave. The agreement also delivers a whopping 37% pay increase on commencement for wharf-based crew, finally closing the ugly chapter of fast ferry wharf-only crew exploitation on Sydney wharves. MUA Sydney Branch Deputy Secretary Paul uh, Garrett said as soon as NRMA started to drag their heels, fast ferry crew ran a tight, disciplined campaign culminating in a huge vote in favour of industrial action, which the company simply could not ignore. 
This campaign has delivered an agreement which uh, goes a long way to correcting the deep historical inequities between private and state ferry operators on Sydney Harbour, and the crew deserve to be congratulated. Branch organiser Shane Reside said this agreement will see the deckhands go from 59k to at least 86k over the life of the agreement, with masters hitting at least 130k by 2026. Their extra week leave is just the cream for the cream for putting in the hard yards. These ferry workers have proved that if you're organised and willing to fight, it's possible to not only keep up with inflation, but win meaningful pay increases on top. If you're a maritime worker in Sydney and you have, haven't yet joined the union, here's a 24% reason why it's time to give the MUA a call. Congratulations to MUA members and delegates working at NRMA Fast Ferry, Fast Ferry for standing up for a fair go. MUA here to stay. Good on him. This is a this is a really good win, and I love um, the 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 quote here. If if you're organised and willing to fight, it's possible to not only keep up with inflation, but win meaningful pay increases on top. Because that's something we see a lot is the the unions and workers struggling to even just get in as much as inflation in their pay rises. Um, but here we have a union who has fought, and they've not only got kept up but gone ahead and that is a really awesome thing to see i know eighty six thousand dollars a year sounds sounds like a lot but to put some things into context it it is sydney harbour it is sydney yeah so you gotta buy a million dollar house with that eighty six (laughs) thousand dollars a year yeah absolutely and with the and the, the that is the pay that these workers deserve yeah it is I mean, the the company that they work for would be making millions, you know, um, uh, uh, on top of what they're paying. Yeah, that harbour is just a cash cow for for tourism and, uh, you know, like it it really really is, you know. So, you know, I I don't think that I've... Even on a rainy day, it's busy, Mm. you know, and I haven't... Well, jeez, I should correct something for the record. I haven't been there for 10 years. (laughs) You know, so but uh, I did spend a lot of time in Sydney Harbour. Um, I, w- I will admit that, and um, yeah, we, it, it, it is. It's it's a it's a busy. It's a it's a it's an industry within itself. Mm. The harbour is an industry within itself. Yeah. Um. So so yeah. That, congratulations to to the MUA members and 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 great work from the delegates at uh, NRMA Fast Ferry. Right, so uh, look, before we go on, we've had a little bit of feedback. You know, still here says, uh, hello comrades, I still remember the BLF Easter picnic day and Christmas at the showgrounds for the kids. Mm. You know, and uh, yeah, so thanks, Joe. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was a lot. There's a lot of things that, that unions used to do that was very yeah. community-minded. Y- unions, like, used to be communities in themselves. Yeah. Um, you, you know, your, your friends would be in the union and you'd uh, organise events in your union and stuff like that. And, and another example would be things like the Ipswich Trades Hall. It's, it's still there. It, yeah. used to, it used to be a club. Mm. And so you would, you, you would go there for, you know, like if you wanted a beer on a Friday night. Yeah. You would go to the to the to the workers' club, you know. So there's all things like that, you know. So, um, but yeah, look, we 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 can aspire to have those things again, and uh, and I know that uh, that we do that in our union at RAF, where we try to do do create those community events. And uh, speaking of which, I've I've got a, I've got members. They want to have an art day. 
So we get we you know we we'll, we'll oh, get together and yeah we get together and and make badges and you know and and, and things like that. So yeah. Looking forward to that. Now, and if you want to text in and let us know what you think about what we're talking about, or request a song if you're a four triple Z subscriber, you can do that at O four two O six two six seven double three. And if you're not a four triple Z subscriber and you want to text in and subscribe and request a song, uh, you can do that by going to four triple Z dot forward slash support. Um, you can get a subscription for as low as thirty five dollars or twenty dollars if you're under 18 years old well and it's it, it's twenty dollars for for pets too isn't it yeah now one that we don't know whether it's it's a pet or, or there's some type of mystery <laughs> in and around mr Stalin yeah but some of the mystery is is, is being uh, um, you know revealed by uh, scruffy Cooper who says that mr Stalin has the best mullet <laughs> I believe that so, uh, yeah, wonderful, you know, like, and as I said, as I always say, the mullet has never gone out of fashion. Okay, we better move on and actually report on some workers' action that's, that's happening around, and this one, um, it, it, this story got me really excited, so this is our, our main story for the show, but it's, uh, my interest got, got picked by Australian Cricketers Association confirms fighting fund to support netballers in pay dispute. This is an awesome act of solidarity here. Australia's cricketers have Australia yeah, Australia's cricketers have thrown their weight behind the country's netballers amid a bitter pay dispute with Netball Australia, creating an unprecedented financial fund to help support the players. Officials this are this week still confirming the finer details of the deal, but the Australian Cricketers Association confirmed on Wednesday a fighting fund would be created for the nation's netballers. The Cricketers Association has also led a push for other players' unions across multiple sports to offer similar support to the netballers, who have been officially off contract since September 30th. At the crux of the issue is the players' push for a revenue-sharing model. In contrast, the eight super netball clubs and Netball Australia want a three-year profit-share deal. Um, the issue exploded last week with both the Australian Netball Players Association and Netball Australia hitting out at each other in the lead-up to Australia's Constellation Cup series against New Zealand. Australia's cricketers have previously previously fought hard to maintain a revenue share model in the sport, including in their own ugly pay dispute with head office in 2017. That is part of the reason why players have agreed to pay out of their own pocket to assist the country's netballers. Much like our female players in 2017, the netballers at the moment are leaning on friends and family for financial support, Cricketers Association CEO Todd Greenberg said. What is disappointing is that the netballers' requests are modest and affordable for the sport. The Cricket Association believes they should be given the same partnership and opportunities as our players, the same opportunities that have seen cricket thrive. The ACA stands with the netballers and will do so until this campaign is successful. The ACA told ABC Sport it expects to put approximately $200,000 into the fund. Netball players' unions uh, last week called for uh, mediation on the matter, claiming players had bent over backwards in their offer. It also claimed that Netball Australia had rejected its real partnership model and in turn presented an unfair deal. 
Australia's netballers are brave and resilient people, ANPA CEO Catherine Harvey-Williams said. When your minimum wage is $40,000, you have a lot of courage. Yeah, you have to show a lot of courage to take a stand. That's why this expression of support is so welcome. It lets the netballers know they are not alone. Right on. Right on. This is this is awesome. I love to see this. Yeah, good on the cricketers for doing that. You know, like I think it's known on the show that I'm a bit of a a cricket tragic. Um, <laughs> I do I do like love my Test match cricket, and uh, and look, they do quite well for themselves, the cricketers, and uh, it's good to see that they sharing back to 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 other workers uh, that, that have been in similar um, uh, struggles to what they were. Uh, Decades upon decades ago, you know. Mm. So, oh well, just even as recent as twenty seventeen. That's yeah. Um, just like six years ago, they they had the same struggle, and um, now the now the netballers are having the same one. Yeah, so good on the cricketers, and and as I said, I got really really interested in this story, so we we got in contact with the Australian Ooh. Netballers uh, Players Association, and and look to their credit, the CEO Catherine uh, uh, Harvey Williams actually got back with it got got in touch with us and uh, and so uh yeah we organized michael our roving reporter um uh, to to organize an interview so uh, thank you to michael and uh big thanks to uh catherine uh for for doing this but uh yeah we wanted to make sure we uh shared uh the view from the australian netballers uh, players association and uh here's that interview here on workers power uh if you could start by setting a name and your title Catherine Harvey-Williams, Chief Executive of the Australian Netball Players Association. Awesome. And uh, oh, and could you just tell us, so just briefly, just to get started, um, what is exactly happening with this uh, agreement with uh, uh, regarding netballers and uh, netballers' pay? Yeah, so we're currently in a state of disagreement because we're trying to negotiate our collective pay agreement. And one of the key sticking points is something that we call a revenue share style model that is adopted by a lot of the established sports in this country and also around the world. And that's a model whereby there's money that's generated by the players and we're asking for a share of that. But in order to do a deal as quickly as possible, because we have players who are now unemployed, we have part our request right back to say, well, we'll simply um, adopt a model that is based on sponsorship and it's above forecast. So it's money that's not expected at the moment. It's money that the players will help to generate. And we're simply saying if that money comes in, then we'd like to take a small share of that and that being 20%. And that still leaves 80% for the sport to invest in other areas, cover costs, etc. So, um, yeah, we're really disappointed that ha- that has been rejected to date. Mm, so why, why, what is the, I guess, the benefits of uh, disputing this uh, pay change? You know, is this going to be, how much would have that have cost the average netball player? Oh, look, at the moment, uh, the minimum wage for netball is $40,000. So you can imagine for them to take this stand is a really big deal, but they really believe in this principle because it's adopted by other sports for a reason because it's a true partnership. If everybody leans in uh, and, and generates revenue, then everybody should be able to share in those rewards. But as I said, we have part our right back to simply sponsorship and above forecast sponsorship but it's a really important principle and it sends a message to the players from the governing body that we're hearing you that we understand that you are partners in the game we understand that this is really important to you Mm. we understand why it works in other sports 
um, and um, we'd really appreciate if they jumped on board with that. But at this point in time, that's not the case. Um, but we certainly hope that they continue to learn and understand the importance of this style of model in sport. Mm. And is there anything that may be said, you know, is there, do you believe that there may be something regarding gender in these negotiations? Do you think these negotiations would be uh, similar if it was a male playing sport? Oh, look, no, every, you know, I'll give you an example because as you may have read, you know, the Australian Cricketers Association were very generous last week and offered us a fighting fund to help these players who currently are struggling to pay for their rent. One one of our athletes even had to sleep in her car overnight. So it's a really difficult situation at this point in time. And they were there in 2017, but it was both the men and the women. Mm. And they fought really hard for this revenue share style model. Um because it was really important and they understood the merits of it and um, that now if you look at cricket, it's really thriving. Everyone leans in, everyone benefits from the upside mm. and that's simply that we're asking for. So it's not, it's certainly not a, a gender-based no. um, argument because, as I said, the, the male cricketers were there, were there. Uh, about five years ago. Mm, mm. So uh, is this um, professional athletes uh, all the way up or is this athletes, you know, somewhere in the middling range that are, also struggling right now or you know what are the, what, what's happening in the various tiers i suppose yeah I, I guess you know for some course super netballers um that's the elite competition here we have 80 athletes um 10 athletes per team and the average wage is about sixty-five thousand dollars. so it's not a lot of money a lot of those players are struggling they all have mortgage payments mm-hmm. um to cover they've been out of contract since the 30, 30th of september so obviously the longer this goes the more difficult it is to, um, for those players to, to meet those payments. So that's why this fighting fund that the Cricketers Association has established to help those players has, you know, mm. been overwhelming for our netballers because they've been there, they know what it's like to lean on people and to borrow money, etc. So, you know, they have stood right beside us as have other player associations with resources to say, look, we're here for you throughout this fight and, and we'll do whatever we need to do to ensure that the players get a fair and reasonable deal because that's all they ask. It's a, it's a really modest ask, actually. How much longer do you believe the netball players will be able to hold out on this action? Well, we've got a lot of support, as I said, from the Cricketers Association and, and other people speaking to us, philanthropists and businesses, etc. So... Um, you know, we hope it doesn't go for a long time because we want it done as quickly as possible because mm. you could imagine we want to ensure that these players are contracted and we can all move forward. Um, but there's, you know, a, a matter of principle here and, as I said, it's a really fair and reasonable ask. It's very, very modest. We're not asking for a lot of money. Um, so the, the players will stand up for as long as required. But, as I said, you know, we're here to do a deal as quickly as possible if we can. So... You know, how do you think that this is a story that kind of, in a way, is relatable to the average person? Because it is, you know, netball standing up, they're saying, "Hey, we've uh, we make a, a good share of you know the profitability of this sport." You know, is that something that might be, I guess, transferable to you know the average person who's uh, working at Woolies yes. or yeah. Yeah, without question, you know, it's, it's fair and reasonable. You know, as, as I said, the minimum wage for the netballs is $40,000 and my understanding is you can get paid more money by, by working at Woolworths stacking shields. Mm-hmm. So it's not a lot of money. So they are very much like the standard worker. It's almost like a standard David versus Goliath um, 
scouse, if you like. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think people can understand that because, you know, in netball, they're not just employees, they're the product. Without those netballers, um, there is no marketing department, there is no commercial department, etc. You can mm. replace individuals um, with others who are equal, if not better, but it's very tough to find another 80 athletes around the country mm. to replace those players. So they bring a lot to the game. Um, netballers are very humble people, they're modest people, and they will only stand up for what is fair and reasonable. That's exactly what they're doing here and are really disappointed that the governing body you know, hasn't listened to a, you know, an element of importance to those players so as mm-hmm. I said we hope throughout these discussions that will change but it's very similar to any of any workers with a union anywhere else in any other industry just standing up for what they think is fair and reasonable in terms of what they bring to their organisation. And um, what are the various actions that may have taken place so far or may take place if these uh, nego- if these demands aren't met? Yeah so obviously you know we're trying to work through it but one of the um, key elements in this negotiation is the players have assigned their IP rights to the Australian Netball Players Association. So we currently own those because players are out of contract and there is no collective player agreement. Um, so we're in control of those. Obviously, you know, our sponsors and commercial partners, etc., require the use of player IP. So, you know, that, that's that's something that we hold at this point in time and we will have discussions as this develops um, in terms of what we're going to do with that and how we're going to control that element of our, of our business. But, you know, our preference is, um, like in all these um, negotiations, to get a deal done as quickly as possible. Awesome. Is there, And is there anything else you'd like to add or anything you feel like I might have missed out on? No, no, no. I think it's, you know, it's very much related to just the standard workers standing up for what's fair and reasonable and, and knowing what they bring um, to their organisation. And we just want to be heard and want an element of respect um, and understanding of, of our position in this game as key stakeholders. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Pleasure. And welcome back to Workers Power here on 4ZZZ. And my name's Bill. I use the he, him pronouns. And I'm Jackson. I use they, them. And uh, yes, yeah, so uh, thank you very much to Catherine Harby Williams, uh, the CEO of the Australian Nepal Players Association. And also thank you to Michael, uh, our roving reporter, uh, for, th- for that uh, you know, very, it was great. That was, it was a good little yeah, story. It's good, good to report on that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then we we followed it up with uh, the workers' song from Dropkick Murphys. Now the reason I, I had Dropkick Murphys lined up, and I thought it was quite adequate to to put it there with the netballers because they're workers, hmm. they're workers just like us. And uh, but the other thing, uh, Dropkick Mur- Murphys got my attention today is there they were out on the picket line. For the United Auto Workers. Oh yeah, good on them. Yeah, so um, showing solidarity with with uh, with them. Now, just a little bit on that. I watched an interesting little. Uh, I've been lo- looking into. There's a story there, but I think we will report on it in in coming weeks. Um, but uh, I, I watched a quite an interesting thing that uh, both uh, Trump and Biden have fallen over themselves to show solidarity with these. Uh, um, United Auto Workers, right? And uh, oh, yeah. Trump organised a rally for for auto workers. <laughs> okay. Right? But get this, it ended up being at a non-union site, <laughs> right? And there was no members there. 
Oh my god! No picketing members there, <laughs> and this raving reporter was actually a comedian. He, he he walked around and you know trying to trip up Trump supporters. Um, he ended up finding he did find one auto worker <laughs> right, and in the end, this auto worker was there trying to find out why Trump was there and um, you know what was going on. <laughs> uh, you know why 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 you know what, what's, what's, what's this tr- rally what's this rally going on? <laughs> and so it was just a big facade. You know, Trump signed, saying that he's with the workers, but. He's not, you know. And the other thing that that's, that that I I, I have found in that that short do- it was only a fifteen minute documentary that I watched is that um, the the auto workers they got um, oh look let, let let's put it let's uh, be impolite about it right they got screwed by Bill Clinton oh yeah so they don't trust the Democrats at all. Right. So, so yes, they, they, they look, and they, they, what he did is he found a lot of a lot of people who voted for Trump in twenty twenty, right? Hmm. And and saying or, or twenty sixteen and and things like that. And they say, well, you're going to vote for me in twenty twenty four? Well, no. <laughs> so he's losing a lot of those voters, which is good, you know. It's, it is good, you know. He's yeah. not, you know, he's one of them, you know. It's yeah. a, it's amazing that he he, he um, tricked them all. But uh, um, yes, yeah, so the United Auto Workers, we shall report on that very very soon. And the other one that we will quickly mention here is in regards to the uh, the the Writers Guild have uh, ratified a 2023 agreement. Um, but uh, we, we've got other stories that we, we're going to move on with. Yeah, I mean, that, that's basically the the whole story anyway. It's just um, on the 9th of October, the uh, the WGA, the WGA members uh, finished voting uh, to ratify the new agreement with the MPTP, and they've come out with a huge victory. Good oh, on them. Yeah, good work. And now, it just like this happened like last yesterday, the media releases happened, is that AMPTP is back in negotiations with the, with the actors. actors. Yes, brilliant. So hopefully there, there, there'll be a deal in, in that. Um, but uh, we are here, we want to report on... Uh, you, you've got a story in regards to what's happening over in Palestine. Yes, so there is a call from Palestinian trade unions to uh, end all complicity and stop arming Israel. Israel has demanded that... Uh, so this is a statement from the Palestinian General Federation of Trade Unions. Israel has demanded that 1.1 million Palestinian, uh, and it's from October 15th, and obviously there has been quite a few uh, developments since then. Israel has demanded that 1.1 million Palestinians evacuate the northern half of Gaza while subjecting them to constant bombardment. This ruthless move is part of Israel's plan, backed by unwavering support and active participation from the US and majority of European states to carry out unprecedented and heinous massacres against the 2.3 million Palestinians in Gaza and to ethnically cleanse it altogether. Since Saturday, Israel has indiscriminately and intensively bombarded Gaza and cut off food, cut off fuel, electricity, water, food, and medical supplies. Israel has killed more than 2,700 Palestinians, including 614 children, leveling whole neighborhoods, wiping out entire families, and injuring more than 10,000 people. Some international law experts have begun war- warning of Israel's genocidal acts. Elsewhere, Israel's far-right government has distributed more than 10,000 rifles to extremist settlers in uh, in Palestine uh, and the occupied West Bank to facilitate their escalating attacks and pogroms against Palestinians. Israel's actions, massacres and rhetoric 
point to its intention to implement its long-promised second Nakba, expelling as many Palestinians as possible and creating a new Middle East in which Palestinians live in perpetual subjugation. The response by Western states has been one of complete and total support for the State of Israel, without even a cursory nod towards international law. This has amplified Israel's impunity, giving it carte blanche to carry out its genocidal war without limit. Beyond Beyond diplomatic support, Western states are supplying Israel with armament, sanctioning the operation of Israeli weapons companies within their borders. As Israel escalates its military campaign, Palestinian trade unions call on our counterparts internationally and all people of conscience to end all form of complicity with Israel's crimes, most urgently halting the arms trade with Israel, as well as all funding and military research. The time for action is now. Palestinian lives hang in the balance. This urgent genocidal situation can only be prevented by a mass increase of global solidarity with the people of Palestine and that can restrain the Israeli war machine. We need you to take immediate action, wherever you are in the world, to prevent the arming of the Israeli state and the companies involved in the infrastructure of the blockade. Uh, We take inspiration from previous mobilizations by trade unions in Italy, South Africa and the United States and similar international mobilizations against the Italian invasion of Ethiopia in the 1930s, the fascist dictatorship in Chile in the 1970s and elsewhere where global solidarity limited the extent of colonial brutality. We are calling on trade unions in relevant industries to refuse to build weapons destined for Israel, to refuse to transport weapons to Israel, to pass motions in their trade union to this effect, to take action against complicit companies involved in implementing Israel's brutal and illegal siege, especially if they have contracts with your institution, pressure governments to stop all military trade with Israel, and in the case of US, the US funding to it. We make this call as we see attempts to ban and silence all forms of solidarity with the Palestinian people. We ask you to speak out and take action in the face of injustice, as trade unions have done historically. We make this call in the belief that the struggle for Palestinian justice and liberation is not only a regionally and globally determined struggle, it is a lever for the liberation of all dispossessed and exploited people of the world. Um, right on. Yeah, great stuff. And there's actually, there's that one, which is a fantastic one, and, and the Lee one. There's also, there's another, uh, this one is a bit more Australian-centric, union yeah, so members in solidarity with Palestine. So, so so this is the call from Palestinian trade unions, yes. and I suppose uh, there has also been something of a response from Australian trade unions in support of Palestine. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, there's one that's um, doing the rounds. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we do in solidarity. Um, okay, well, um, yeah, we're 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 probably we're in the uh, early finish stage of the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we've just. I, I thought with an interview, normally we, uh, you know, like uh, it's normally action packed. But but look, we we've always got plenty to talk about here on uh, Workers Power, and uh, something from my neck of the woods. Um, as many knows, I actually work for Rafu, and yeah, you're you're a Rafu I'm member, a aren't you? Member. And so, so what's going on is um, that we've uh, there's just been a big announcement while the show's been happening, and that is uh, in to do with regards to KFC. Ooh. So KFC is the second major food chain believed to have harmed workers by denying ten minute rest breaks. Oh yeah. 
So this ha- remember that it happened with the uh, the yeah. McDonald's worker. We reported on that extensively. Uh, uh, um, and uh, well, the same thing's been going on at KFC. So um, where where they're not, uh, you know, oh, you don't, you know, toilets you can go in in, in your own time, <laughs> which. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain that, that regular listeners to the show knows that that's, well, that, that is not your rights, you know. Yeah. You can go to the toilet whenever you need to, you know. Yeah. Diff- different businesses, same business model. Yeah. It seems exploitation of young workers and denial of s- basic rights. <laughs> I like this line from Josh. Uh, it, uh, Josh Cullen and the RAFU uh, secretary goes, the missing ingredient in KFC recipe was rest. <laughs> it's unacceptable that a global franchise has had complete disregard to the welfare of its workers. Hmm. You know, they, this is, and these are, these are all kids, generally. Like yeah. McDonald's, KFC, we all know. Like, like uh, you can use your own a- anecdotal evidence, listener. Next time you're at KFC, have a look at the demographic of those working out there. You know, like, uh, I tell you what, they make me feel pretty old, <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, you'd, uh, like, like, um, like he said, the, we, we should expect giant corporations like this that make billions of dollars to be able to maintain, like, basic standards of um, both quality of service, but also quality of employment. Um, but it is also it is always quality of employment that they seem to fail on, even with the billions and billions of dollars that they make. And of course, that is how they make those billions and billions of dollars um, through the exploitation of these young workers. Uh, now, what is what is happening with Rafu? What is Rafu doing about this? Yes, uh, what's happening is is that uh, Shine Law Rafu and Shine Lawyers have come back together and they're, they're investigating a class action uh, to happen so that uh, um, KFC workers uh, that, that, that were denied 10-minute uh, um, breaks um, can be compensated. Because it's not it's not good for your health holding on holding on, mm. and so um, you know um, to give uh, people a little bit of an idea. And this is only just a, an idea. The uh, case uh, for the for the Tantex uh, young woman um, got eleven thousand dollars. Oh, that's a good amount. Of so money. To, so to to give people a little bit of idea, and that that would be I'm sure would be at the top end of the scale, but. Uh, Look, there's only one way to find out, and that's to um, you know you could head to uh, Facebook, uh, R- R- Rafael's Facebook page, or or you know just Google Shine Lawyers and uh, KFC. Um, I'm sure it'll come up for you. So if you've worked at KFC uh, in the past, uh, I'm not sure of the timeline. Let me let me quickly look it up for you. But uh, if you've worked for KFC um, in 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 your glorious past. Um, yeah, get in touch. So let me see if I can find the uh, the timelines. Yeah. So it goes back. Uh, well, all the details will be there you know, on the on the website. If you've worked for KFC in the past, I recommend you go in and have a look. You could be in. Um, you know, there could there could be something in it for you. So, yes. Okay, well, that, you know, that that's the exciting news, and that's only just broken in the last hour, that. So, uh, you know, it's... Uh, um, yeah, and, um, yeah, class actions are back. 
Yeah. Class actions are back. Now, to, to talk a little bit about class actions, right? Like, um, the, the, there was a ruling last week, um, in the, and to do with the, with the McDonald's case, um, that, that means that, that class actions are back, the, uh, the way that they're funded and, and the way that the, the, the costs are ordered. Um, uh, you know, it's, it, they're back in play again, you know? So, but... Um, when it comes to class actions, right, and 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 you can use you can use this example. You, we've got the McDonald's one, and there there's also there, there's the other ones like for flood victims, and um, you know there, there's plenty of opportunities for class action. Now, th- there are some negatives to class action, and that is you've got to pay for the lawyers. Well, you've got to pay for lawyers anyhow, right? Mm. But you've also there's another element to it, and that is what is known as the funder, right? So. And 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 th- this is the part of it that leaves a little bit of a taste in my mouth, but I-, I will explain. Right, the funder is basically a fund manager who's got lots and lots of money, right, and finds legal class actions that are sure wins that they think are sure wins, hmm. and they invest, they pay for the lawyers, and then when when there's a payout at the end, that's where they make their profit, right? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. So it, there, there's a little bit to it you know so so you've got the you know some some organize and one day raffle will be be big enough and we could we, we will fund our own class actions hmm. right but at the moment you know we, we you know we need this it's another necessary evil we've been talking about <laughs> necessary evils right but I, I i can well well for the want of a phrase justifying that how do you justify that you know as a worker you know, saying, oh, we're, we're about to, you know, get this huge payout, but 10, 15, 20% is going to go go to, to, to a capitalist scumbag. Mm. Well, it, as I said, it's a necessary evil, right? And, and, and see, generally, you know, the, the funders and the lawyers will take about 20 to 30%, right? So let's say at the high end, 30%, right? That the, that the lawyers and the funders are going to take out of the, you know, you hear of big mass payouts, Fifty million dollars, and the fund is going to take out their hmm. their thirty percent, right? But what I say to this is, without the funder, it never happens. Yeah, right. So it's not going, never going to happen. So if, if without the funder, the worker gets zero percent of zero. Yeah. Right. But if they do do it, they get seventy percent of something. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like necessarily a bad thing or anything. It's not like it, it just feels a bit gross. It, it does. It's yes. all it really is. The, the, there's no real need to justify it because no one's getting hurt and the workers are getting their money. Um, but yeah, it, it it does always feel weird, like you know, getting into bed with the capitalists, even if it is for workers' rights. Um, yeah. Yes, it does. It's just an unfortunate reality of the world. Yeah, that's the world yeah. we live in, and uh, and that's the world that we've got to organise. So yeah, I'll be pretty stoked to get those those workers seventy percent of something. Mm. Definitely. Okay, and as I said, yep, yeah, uh, get in touch with uh, Shine Lawyers or Raffle if you want to find out more. And and look, because and, and to to uh, uh, head back to our show, I think that uh, the KFC, the brand new CEO. You've walked into, you've walked in, just by taking on this role. <laughs> you are a scallywag. Now they've started it first of January twenty twenty two, right? Sabir Samar Samir is the KFC CEO's. Well, um, well, you're a scallywag, 
But if you don't want to be a scallywag, make sure your workers are getting their rest breaks. Absolutely. And make sure the workers that didn't get their work work break uh, rest breaks are compensated fairly. You scallywag. You grub. Okay, well that's it for our show. That was a really good show today. You know, a lot of yeah. lot of diversity in there, and uh, you know, some some good reporting. I think. I think so too. <laughs> good if on we, us. Good on, well done us. Well done to the <laughs> workers' power team. But most of all, well done to you, the the workers' power listener and the four triple Z subscriber um, for for keeping us on the air. Um, and uh, yes, so uh, we will see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday, comrades.